Welcome, everybody, to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. Good morning again. Before I get into the sermon today, how much do you think my phone weighs? I guess. Yeah, how much does it weigh? Three ounces? Not very heavy, right? But if I... uh, held my phone out like this, not only would I look completely silly for a while, but how long um, would I be holding this out before I would start feeling tired? So if I held this out for, for the rest of the service, uh, how, how would my arm feel? Very tired. Imagine if I held my arm like this for the rest of the week. My arm would probably injured after a while, right? I mean, they would be uh, either uh, severely uh, more than just tired. I might actually injure myself if I was able to hold this phone out, although it's extremely light all week long. So say I managed by next Sunday to still be walking around holding my phone out like this. Has the weight of the phone changed? Must change. The longer I hold something, the heavier it feels. The longer I hold something the heavier it feels. You see where I'm going? So the longer I hold on to something in my life, the heavier it feels. And I do believe, since we talked about last week, remember we talked a little bit about God was saying, you know, we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, we're looking over our shoulder because things might be going so well that we're just like, something bad's going to happen. I think God is also saying that, you know what, there are things that we're holding on to that seem extremely heavy only because we've been holding on to them for so long instead of giving them to him. Now the scriptures encourage us to cast all our cares upon Jesus for he careth for you. So I'm going to go to Psalm. God brought me to this Psalm this morning. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So this morning, before we get into everything else that God has for us, I want us just to pause again. And I want you to think about something that you're carrying that God no longer wants you to carry. I don't care if you've been carrying it for 15 minutes or for 15 years. God wants you to lay it at his feet and let it go. God wants you to give it to him. Remember, he says that his burden, his yoke is easy. Heavenly Father, we come as your sons and daughters and we do exactly what your word says. We cast our cares upon you. We cast our burdens on you. We cast the things that we've been holding on to, and somehow in our selfish pride we thought that we could carry these things. Please forgive us. We want to we want to just surrender these things to you. So Father, we do that. We we give these things to you. And we ask for the strength to let them go. We ask them for faith to let them go. We ask for the trust to let them go 
and allow you to do what you do best, set us free. So we surrender everything. We just give it to you, knowing full well that in your hands we are made whole. We are made free. We trust these things to you. I pray, Father, that you would help us not pick them up again. That we would allow the Holy Spirit to to lead us into all truth, to do the things, to consistently let go of the things that trip us up, that hinder us from following you with everything that we have. So willfully, consciously, purposefully, intentionally, we surrender these all to you by faith. And we ask that you would have your way in all this and teach us, guide us, instruct us, convict us, and change us to look more like Jesus. Father, now as we go into your word, I ask that you would speak your words only through me. We need to hear your voice. Your voice only. I pray that the the scriptures that we use from, from your word, that we would receive it as good food, good nourishment, and that it would make us hungry for you. I pray, Father, for that for me and for all of us here today. And that whatever proclamations that we make together today, we will honor your name in all that we say and do. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I highly urge you to consistently and fervently let go of stuff. The Father has instructed us to do so. And I believe with all my heart, if we start to make these conscious decisions, although we may not feel like anything has changed, we're agreeing with God's word. And so if we consistently and fervently and passionately and intentionally, all the least words that you can use there, let's just do it and let God do what he does best, which again is set us free. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. I am excited today. Surprise. Remember last week I confessed that my other shoe was that I don't allow myself to get too excited or too depressed. Well, that's changed this week for me. And the funny thing, it happened probably midweek, up early, doing my Bible study, you know, journaling with, 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 with Jesus. That should be a TV show, Journaling with Jesus. Um, <laughs> I was doing that, and, and God said, you have a bad attitude. And I said, what, me? He said, yeah, there's something in your heart that you're, you're a little self-righteous about. And that needs to, that needs to stop. It wasn't judgmental. There was no condemnation in it. But you know what there was in it? Freedom. I was able to repent. I was able to uh, journal about it. I was able to express uh, it through a a prayer time with, with Father. And I felt free. That's what Father does. See, He speaks these things not to make us feel bad about ourselves. He speaks truth into our lives to to free us. That's why I'm excited. I'm excited because that very thing that I confessed last week, God is already working on. Because I'm working on it. 
I'm partnering with God. I am, I'm invested in this. I'm engaging in it. I want God to search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Not because I'm a bad dude, but because there's parts of my heart that still needs to be healed and freed. So, you know, I'm, I'm urging you to invite the introspection of the Holy Spirit. It's not a, it's not a scary thing. Because the Holy Spirit wants to lead us to all truth. And he wants us to see Jesus clearer. And Jesus wants us to see the Father clearer. So that we can see ourselves clearer. We see ourselves like God sees us then. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful way. So I just want to encourage you with that. That the more introspection that you do with the Holy Spirit's help. Not just on yourself. Because if you introspect yourself, you're going you're to come up with some bad conclusions. But when you do it with the Holy Spirit, He leads you to all truth. The truth about who you are in Christ. Redeemed. Saved. Renewed. Restored. And, and wonderfully loved by Father God. Alright, amen. Amen. Okay, that was, that was free, by the way. So. That was free. Did you know that you can teach the enemy a lesson? Did you realize how much power and influence you have in here today? That you can actually teach the enemy a lesson. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 10 to 11 says this. So that through the church, that's you and me, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Some versions say principalities. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty powerful stuff right there. So that it has always been God's plan to reveal his wisdom through the church to the enemy, to principalities, to heavenly authorities. The word manifold in the Greek is, is a wonderful word. It means uh, diversity. It means a collection, and it means multifaceted, and I, I love this part of it. It means many colors. God's wisdom is colorful and diverse and rich. And so there is, it, we can't grasp the, the, the extent of God's wisdom. But because of the kindness of God, because he's making us one, and, and his church is one, he expresses that wisdom through the church. It's that, that's a powerful picture right there. So when you think that you don't have any wisdom, guess what? God is expressing his wisdom through you, through me, through the church collectively. So, and by that, the principalities of the air are witnessing that wisdom being expressed through us. And we are teaching them a lesson about who God is. God's plan is more complex and multifaceted than we can imagine. So when he, back in, uh, in Jesus' time, when he took the Gentile world and he took the Jewish world and he made them one church, he was, he was saying something colorful. He was saying something about diversity. He was saying that it was God's wisdom did this. And he uses that diversity, that multicultural, that multi, multicolor, that multi-flavors uh, of different expressions of the body of Christ to teach the enemy a huge lesson about unity. See, the enemy is always about disunity, 
right? About coming between us and, and Father God, about separating us from even each other. And God says, no, the manifold wisdom I'm going to express is so diverse, it brings you together. See, only God can do something like that. That he expresses it through a multifaceted, multicultural, multicolorful expressions, but making us one in the process. This is huge. This is really, really big. I've been asked, why do you do what you do here at Bridge Builders? And I said, well, we preach, we teach, we, we move and, and try to express unity with ourselves first, you know, with unity with God, our relationship with God. And that causes us to be able to move into the, the community and express unity by partnering with other churches, by meeting with other families, by doing not just spiritual events like prayer meetings or worship services, but by having meals with one another, by doing what might seem unspiritual things, but sitting down and having a cup of coffee with someone and listening to their story. And to me, that is a part of expressing the wisdom of God. In practical means. So I preach about the gospel as it pertains to racial issues. Because there is an enemy trying to divide us constantly. But I also speak about the separation between denominations. Because it's huge. I speak about the separation between the genders. And so we we speak about these things. and, and, And not so much against these things. We speak about what the gospel talks about. We don't want to. We don't want to be set ourselves against other churches, even though they might have a different flavor than us. We don't want to, uh, or a different culture than us. We want to speak about the gospel because the gospel unites us, and that's the wisdom of God to do so. How do we teach the, the enemy a lesson? Did how do we overcome evil as a unified church? Romans twelve twenty one. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That word overcome means to conquer. So we don't we overcome, we conquer continuously with good. And that word good means doing something morally correct or right so that it benefits others. So it's more than just a good deed. It's doing something with a purposeful intent to make sure that that person knows that their life is going to be different from that point on. That's the whole context of what that what means doing good. That means I'm doing something that benefits you. It's more than just a good deed. It's something that's going to benefit you for your life. Uh, we overcome evil with doing good. Actions that bring life. Actions that bring life. And the gospel is the greatest good that's ever been done. It's the greatest good that's ever happened to the human race. Romans 5.10. For if while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Jesus died for his enemies, correct? Scripture just said so. Guess who who were his enemies? That's a pretty big thought right there. So when we start to think about moving out with the gospel, and there are many kinds of enemies out there. But God says to do something very specific for our enemies. 
Matthew 5.44. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God responded to his enemies. We weren't, we were just, we weren't just separated from God. We were active enemies of God at one point in our lives. Anything that goes against God's word, God's kingdom, God's promises, God's salvation is an active enemy of the kingdom. It just is. So we were once that and God responded to us, to us with love. So guess when we go into the world with the gospel news, with the good news, guess what? how we're supposed to respond? With love. This is, this is how we respond to the enemies out there. We, 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 we respond with love. This is the gospel. The, the gospel is, is love in action. It is. It has to be. In order to make a difference, because we know that the, it seems like the, the enemies are increasing out there, but not really. Not really. It's just that the light is shining brighter. So it's revealing the darkness. This is what I believe. See, the gospel is going forth. And where the gospel goes, the light of God goes. And it reveals the darkness. Now, I know it's shocking to see these things and it's awful to hear these things. But I am glad that God is revealing the darkness. Because it means that the harvest is really ready for the gospel. We have a huge opportunity here as a church. Because God's going to express his manifold wisdom through us. We're going to know how to handle what's out there. Because God promised the wisdom for it. Some of the ways that love overcomes evil. Someone go to John chapter 15 for me. And someone go to Galatians 6 2 for me. And someone go to James 5 16 for me. And when the person that has John 15, read verses 12 to 13 for me. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have found you, as I have loved you, sir. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life to his We overcome evil, we defeat the enemy when we love greater. When we love greater, because when we love greater, it causes us to be able to lay down our lives. See, the gospel is the greatest good news that we can give someone. So we overcome evil when we love greater. I'm going to read First Peter 4.8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. We overcome evil when we love deeper. That word cover does not mean we overlook it and ignore the sin. That word cover it means that we actually cover it. We help people with that sin. We help them repent, renounce. We cover it with the blood of Jesus. See, it's not we're, uh, we're ignoring that kind of... Well, we, we don't ignore people's actions. We cover it with the love of Christ... But not to hide it, but we cover it with the blood because that's what he does with us, right? He covers us so that we are able to repent, we're able to renounce, and we're able to walk as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So that's what that word c- 
cover means. So we, we love deeper, we love greater. Galatians 6.2. We uh, overcome evil we, when we help carry each other. That word bear actually means to lift, but with the whole concept of not just lifting, but removing it from someone. See that? So when we're bearing with each other, helping carry each other's burdens, we're not just shouldering the load, we're removing the load. So that it, and where are we going to remove that load? Who are we going to remove that load to? Jesus. That's right. Right? We're, we're going to help lift it. We're going to help carry it. But we're not carrying it ourselves either. We are uploading it over to Jesus. See that? See that? Okay. So when we love deeper, we love greater. When we help carry each other's burdens. Uh, who has James 5.16? This is such a huge, wonderful picture of unity here. Imagine trusting each other so much that we have no problem confessing our sins to one another. Imagine how unified that looks to the enemy, to the world. That this becomes a consistent spiritual practice among us. That we trust each other so much that we don't hide anything from each other. It's, it's, it's a work in progress. Yes, I'm not saying we're, we're there or we have come a long ways. But I'm saying this is what the scripture is saying. That, that we got to get to a place where we consistently bear one another's burdens, that we love each other deeply, that we express the things that we're struggling with, because then we will be healed. Just, you know, confession is repentance here. And the wonderful thing about repenting to each other, it means that not only do we trust each other, we trust that God's going to forgive us. See, when we hide things... We don't trust that God is able to forgive us. And I'm going to just let you on a big secret here. You can't hide it from God anyways. Okay? God knows. And you might be able to hide it. I might be able to hide it from each other. But God knows. And he wants us to be free of it. He wants us to be free of it. It's, uh, we cover each other with prayer. It's, uh, it's a protection. And when we do that, uh, relational healing comes. Relational, relational healing between us and God. Relational healing uh, among each other. And then, you know what? We teach the world that it can be done. That you don't have to hide. That it's okay to come to Jesus, reveal your sins, admit your sins, renounce your sins, and find freedom. We show that it's possible. By the way, we do it among ourselves. This is part of the manifold wisdom of God. Let's go to Book of John, Chapter Four. Absolutely, positively, one of my favorite stories in the in, in the in the Word, uh, because in this story, Jesus confronts the issue of race, the issue of gender. The issue of religion. And he does it all with such love and compassion. Uh, you, could, you could preach on this for about 16 weeks and never get to the end of this, uh, this story. But um, you know, most of us, we know this story. You know, Jesus is tired. His disciples go off to find some food. He's at the well. He's He's weary. He is weary. The word tired there means that he is spent. He's, he's just all tuckered out. He's worn out. 
This woman comes to the well at noontime. Now, most women would have came at the morning time or the evening time. To come out in the noontime was uh, kind of looked down upon. And Jesus asks her, he says, verse 7, give me a drink. Well, this is, this is highly unusual for a lot of reasons. For a Jewish male to talk to a woman that wasn't his sister, his wife, or his daughter in public, that was just not done. And this was a Samaritan. And we talked a little bit about how Samaritans and Jews really just didn't get along. They, they hated each other on so many different levels. The Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile and looked down upon by the Jewish people. And the, the Samaritans weren't too fond of the Jews either. And she mentions that, says, you know, how is it that you are a Jew, ask for me a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jesus to be handed a vessel that had water in it from a Samaritan, water would have been considered ceremonial unclean. The moment he even just touched the cup, by Jewish law, he was ceremonially unclean. To drink the water was even a worse thing. He was defiling himself by doing this. And Jesus simply does not care. He starts this conversation. He's not just a chat. Matter of fact, in the recorded Gospels, this is the longest conversation that Jesus has with a woman recorded. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful conversation. I don't necessarily think that it is a calm, polite conversation. Because again, the fact that Jesus is talking alone with a woman, with a Samaritan woman, uh, is kind of scandalous here. But the story unfolds like this. He tells her, if you knew the gift of God, and you said, give me a drink, you would have said, uh, he would have given you life-driving water. And she goes on and says, wow, you know, you don't have a bucket to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? So this conversation is a little, she's a little snarky, you know, it seems like. She's just, she seems very comfortable talking to men here. And he tells her, you know, whoever drinks of the water I'm going to give you, you know, you'll never have to worry about drinking again. And he, she says, sir, give me this water that I might not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you are with now is not your husband. What you said to me is true. Pause. Why do we assume the worst of this woman? Most preaching about this is that this woman is a scandalous woman. Women of first century Palestine had no right to divorce men. They could not do it. So these men either divorced her or had died. But we assume the worst in this story, don't we? That this woman is living a scandalous life. All there might be some issue because she's now living with a man that she's not married to. Do you know that at a certain, 
in Jewish law and some Samaritan laws, there's only a certain amount of t- times you can legally be married. It's quite likely that this woman could not be ma- get married legally because of the number of times that she's been divorced or her husband has died. But we assume the worst about this woman in a lot of teaching that goes out there. And it's simply not there. It does not say. Jesus just points out how many, how tragic her life is. Jesus is showing us, to me, extreme kindness here to this woman. I don't sense condemnation in his voice. He simply just states the facts. He says, this is true. You have had five, and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. I don't think he's judging her at all. He's just saying, I know who. I know your story. And I'm not afraid of your story. I'm not going to back off here. I'm here for a purpose. I find that extremely beautiful. And how he addresses so much through this story. He goes, they go on to talk about religion, about where to worship and and Jesus addresses that so beautifully. He says, you know, there's going to come a day when worshipers are going to worship me in spirit and truth. And then, you know, her eyes get revealed about who he really is. That he's the Messiah. And goes and spreads the news to her whole community. And the whole town comes. If Jesus went in there with a judgmental attitude, would that have happened? I don't think so. That's why I don't think there's a, there's a hint of judgment in Jesus saying you have had five husbands and the one that you're living with is not your husband either. All he's doing is stating the facts. So we're not supposed to assume the worst of this woman either. At least in my estimation here. I love this fact that Jesus is stating that he knows her, her state, her life. And in that moment, Jesus walks into her situation with true love. Not to marry her, but to redeem her. He's going to answer the gender question. He's going to answer the religious question. He doesn't care that she is, according to Jewish standards, not ethnically pure. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about her opinion, about, about how, how it differs from the Jewish point of view of, of worship. He's going to tell her what worship is. He's going to address the issue of religion, of race, of, of gender. And he's going to do it with love. She might have been an outcast to the Jews and even to her own people. But Jesus just saw her as someone that needed redemption. He loves her by listening. He loves her by pursuing. He loves her by confronting. He speaks to truth and love. Remember, that's gospel fluency. When we speak to truth and love. And I think Jesus overcomes the evil of her situation, her shame, her status, with his overcoming love. This is the gospel in action. Greater love, deeper love, covering love, lifting love. This is how we overcome evil. By doing 